Welcome to Ancient and Justified. Empty party zone, isn't it? With me, James Hyman. And with me, Simone Angel. Now, I'm really kind of jealous that you are interviewing our guest today because obviously you do the interviews so you should you are the face with an amazing haircut but um it is speech from Arrested mm-hmm. Development now when I was revisiting all the kind of stuff about him he, he's fascinating super intelligent yeah. super smart yeah. and when you go back and read all the stuff we interviewed him it was actually for MTV right. Dance I remember that in 1994 yeah do you remember now this is it do you actually, was it at the Jazz Cafe? Because they were doing a gig, Hip Hop Connection mentions them doing something at the Jazz Cafe. I, I can't actually remember where we the, did that. The funny no. thing yeah. is, I can see the location in my mind, but I don't know where it was. I just, I can see the location, it was quite dark. And I remember the girls were teaching me African dancing. I remember sitting mm. with Baba OJ and, you know, just, oh, Sadly passed I away. I know, I know. Such a special mm. man. And just that whole experience of being with the rest of the development was really special. So I'm very excited to be talking to Speech. Uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of things that I think you should ask. The race mm. comes out and the politics in a lot of these amazing press. I think one thing that's very interesting is the lawsuit that they had with the TV show of the same name, Arrested Development. Right. Because... When I was revisiting them and you type Arrested Development into Google or other search engines are available, you know, you get basically the TV show. And that is unfair and a bit unreasonable, particularly because the music group, Arrested Development, trademarked Arrested Development. So it wasn't just like they made up these two words. They trademarked it. So I'd like to know a little bit more. I mean, he, you know, technically speech could have stopped that TV show using that name. He wow. didn't. They did settle out of court. Um, but why did, you know, interesting why he maybe didn't get them to change the name? Because it's kind of, it, imagine how infuriating it is. You build up your, your mm-hmm. sort of, your brand, right. your persona, and people know you for that stuff. And then boom, you know, confusion with the name. So that's interesting. Arrested Development is a great feature here. Trouble in Paradise about, you know, they've done so well all these Grammys, all these millions of sales, and it really talks about the pressure they're under. Right. And the connection to Prince, another interesting thing, remember their single, Tennessee? Right. Like the big single. Yeah. You know, they sample one word from Prince. They didn't get permission to do it. They sample that one word, which came from Alphabet Street, and Prince sues them, but in a really kind of nice way. It's like, look, just give me like $100,000. Don't want a songwriting credit. And it speeches, like, talks a lot about how... Um, Prince was such a big influence on. I'd be, I'd be interested in you asking him. Yeah. Obviously, since then, Prince has passed away. I know. Baba OJ's passed yeah. away. You know how he feels in their with their passings. Yeah. Right. So amazing, amazing press they had back in the day. I mean, this is like tip of the iceberg stuff. Southern fried funk. Hmm. And again, I just love how you obviously have remembered that they were in these magazines and you've been pulling Can I tell these you, I mags. fell off all these shelves. Yeah, I was pulling some of these <laughs> shelves very, very hard. I, I mean, I, I might not have been here. I, I just want you, all the people watching and listening to this 
to know that it's not just a kind of, you know, you don't just suddenly, you know, have a robot who gets this stuff for you. It's physically pulled from HiMag and it can be precarious and dangerous and you can have an accident at the workplace. Oh my goodness. He says as he's trying to find another oh my nice goodness. picture. Of so we need to have video of you doing this, of you clambering okay. on top of... What, of me breaking my back? No, not that bit, of finding these these okay. gems, these magazines. This is lovely, Echo Eshen's piece. And they were like, this was in the face. They were band of the year. Nice. Such a great band. Oh, I just love them. I really do. They're still yeah. releasing really great music, by the way. They Absolutely. have a fantastic Absolutely. album out at the moment and single. And, um, oh, Baba OJ. Yeah, I really want to hear Speech talk about him because I mm, know that he mm, was mm. such an important part of the band. So, um, yeah. Another thing as well, actually, is kind of good. They were, they were kind of a precursor to Black Eyed Peas, right? Totally. And they were such a welcome, yeah. such a welcome yeah. change from the gangster rap that was around at yeah. the time. Not that the gangster rap was a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a style. But yeah. you know, they were they had incredible lyrical conscience. One of the best things I have to say. One of the best, and I remember this from the time. This was from, I think, April nineteen ninety four. I think we had just interviewed them. They were everywhere. They were, you know, remember they did the MTV Unplugged. Oh, First nice. rap group, I think, to win to win a Grammy. I can't remember in the category. It was like some new category. But the quote that I love from Billboard, um, he talks, speeches every time he talks about sampling, because on the album they had all these, I don't know if you remember these American charts mm -hmm. and all these beats. And he, the speech was going every time, this is so good, I love this. I remember this from the time. Every time you sample notes, you're also sampling the spirit of whomever you're sampling. So, you know, if he sampled, Ooh. I think he mentions like a Herbie Hancock loop. He says, I'm sampling the emotions he was experiencing when he was playing. Wow. I love that. That's you know, the deep, real... isn't it? It is it's deep. It's deep, like, I like and that. And it hit me. So mm. I think we even asked, we told Bill Laswell about that when we finally tracked down an interview with Bill Laswell in Brooklyn. You know, when you sample, you are taking that energy, the soul yeah. of whoever played on that record. Wow. Select magazine. Who would have thought a year ago that the world would be at the bare feet of an agriculturally correct, urbanly challenged, non-aggressive, non-ageist, brown rice rap octet from America's deep south? Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Today on the show, I've got a man here named Todd Thomas, better known to everyone, of course, as Speech. Speech from Arrested <laughs> Development. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I'm so, so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm really, really, really happy great. to talk to you. It's, 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 it's really a pleasure. Yeah. It's been a long time. So James Hyman and I were trying to figure out when we last met. And we think it might have been in 1994 at the Jazz Cafe. We did a show called MTV Dance. And uh -huh. thing I remember was just the warmth that I felt from wow. the band, from Arrested Development, from all of you. It, it really stayed with me for the rest of my life. The girls wow. were teaching me African dancing. Come I still on, know the come moves. on. I love that. I love it. Seriously? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I do. That's and, fantastic. Um, and I remember talking to Baba OJ. That wow. had such an impact on me. I mean, what a man. Yeah. Talk to me about yeah. Baba OJ. Baba OJ meant 
a number of things to me. First of all, he was the most um, experienced man as far as traveling throughout Africa that I knew at the time. He, he, okay, so Bob OJ is a pretty big study here. So Bob okay. <laughs> was the type of guy that loved to hang with younger people. He was 57 when I met him. He was hanging with people who were, you know, 18, 19. So that was cool because he would teach us things. He was willing to talk to us. He didn't sort of play us off as nothing and he respected us. And so I loved that about him. Um, I didn't know it, but Baba was actually at my mother and father's wedding as the best man. So I had no clue. This was totally like me meeting him separately. We started talking. I wanted him to be in my rap group. And later he found out that I was Todd Thomas and he said, oh, that's Pat and Robert's son. And so at first he told me, no, I don't want to be in this rap group. Then he found out I was their son and he was like, you know what? I'll do it. I don't want to discourage this young little Thomas kid. I was in his mom and dad's wedding and I learned all this stuff later. So I didn't know any of that about Bob OJ. Anyway, he's just the most um, serving guy. Bob OJ would often go out into the streets and feed the homeless. Baba OJ would um, spend, if he went to your house to just hang with you, he might be the type to live at your house from that initial meeting for five years. That's exactly what he did when he came to Africa with my mom <laughs> and dad. Um, back when I was only two years old, they all went to Kenya to visit some family. And it wasn't his family, but my mom and dad came back to America two weeks later. He stayed for five years. He started traveling throughout Africa. He lived on the couch of my family members, but he's done that throughout his life. So like Baba is a, he's almost like a modern day hobo um, before he passed away. And just a man of many wisdoms, African wisdom, street wisdom, um, life wisdom, mm -hmm. yeah. served in the war. He was a, a military man. He was a banker. So he's just this wide wide wealth of knowledge and uh, experience. So do you still, like when you're performing, do you still kind of feel his presence, especially when you perform in certain songs? Definitely. Yeah, I do. Do you still like um, have that feeling sometimes or that memory? I do. And often, not just me, me and the group members often feel Baba's presence with us. And especially when we do people every day, there's this section, go Baba, go Baba, go Baba. We often think of him. And the day that Baba died was the day after my birthday. And I want to say 2018. I'm forgetting the exact year now. We were in Europe. We were in Paris, France. I found out that he had passed away uh, right before a show. And my birthday was the day before. And the beautiful thing about Baba is I was with him about two weeks earlier because he was sick. And I happened to be in Milwaukee. I went to go visit him at the hospital, me and my queen, my wife. And um, so we got a chance to say our goodbyes and talk to him about two weeks earlier. But he lasted about two weeks, passed the day after my birthday. And that night we were in Paris, France. We did a show dedicated to him. We had a huge, beautiful um, slot, like slide presentation with his face and artwork and things that he's done on the screen and it was just one of the most special nights of our career and, and so yeah we often think of it often yeah you know what really so i when i spoke to baba oj i actually asked him 
in hindsight, I now realize a very rude question. And it was just pure ignorance on my behalf. You know, I was this little, you know, young, white Dutch girl, you know, from the Netherlands. I did not really understand racism the way you guys uh -huh. did. And I asked him, I'm like, why are you guys always going on about being black? Why is that such a big issue? Now, at the time, he could have chosen to be offended. He could have talked yeah. down to me like, oh, you stupid little girl. But he didn't. He very calmly spoke to me and he, it really, it, it's, it changed my perception completely because he explained to me that with American history, even to this day, yeah. slavery only ended at this moment, less than 160 years ago. And that Thanks. after that, there was still the, what's uh, the Crow, uh, Jim Crow law the that Jim went Crow on for era. another hundred years, a whole law of, of, of segregation you know, mm -hmm. where white and black people would have different bathrooms, different f drinking fountains, uh, sit in yes. different parts of the bus. And, and even though I'd heard about that and I heard about, you know, Rosa Parks and stuff, when I spoke to Baba Ojo, it really, it really touched me because I think as well, he told me that it was either his grandparents or his great grandparents who still had known slavery, right? Or had been slaves. Yes, his, his, and his grandparents. And that was like... Mm -hmm. That was insane that to me at that yes. moment to talk to a living person whose yes. grandparents had been slaves. And that's when it struck me. I'm like, this is not ancient history. No, this is like, not at all. This is quite recent. Recent history. It is. And if you could wow. imagine the trauma. So like if you, and I hate to use this as an example, but if you imagine a woman who was raped as a child, and mm -hmm. what kind of trauma that presents to that woman for the rest of her life, even if she's able to move forward right. and able to do wonderful things in her life, that trauma never leaves. Now, that's just a woman that's, let's say she passes away at 80 years old and let's say she was assaulted, you know, in, in her 20s. That's 60 years. But Black people's realities of slavery was hundreds of years. So this this trauma was passed down generation to generation of those that never did see freedom. And even those that finally did see freedom from slavery, that trauma was still so baked in to our realities mm -hmm. as a Black um, race of people in America that, um, yeah, it's tough to it's tough to define a world without seeing it through that lens for us because so much of our realities were based on being Black and having racism shown to us because of it. Yeah, and it is. And in a way, that is how the past kind of lives on, right? It kind of continues because also parents, whatever traumas they have, they pass it to their children, who pass it to their children, who pass it to their children. And so it, it becomes also like this cycle that, of course, you know, you guys, to a large extent, have also been wanting to break a lot of the cycles that were in place. How do you feel, yes. actually, yeah, looking back on, on it? I mean, you guys have achieved so much. We'll, we'll go into everything that you've achieved sure. um, throughout the interview. But how do you feel, just from, from that point of view, do you feel like you've managed to get your point across? And do you think it's made a difference, even just on, on a personal level for certain people? Yes and yes. Um, you know, when I speak of trauma, yeah. the trauma happens on all sides of the fence. So in other words, it's trauma to black people yes. yeah. who were the victims of slavery and oppression, but it's also trauma to white people who knew that this life that was being perpetuated was unnatural. It was evil. They saw evils. 
they some of them participated in evils and so these things are are traumas for all people involved and and the nation as well just as a collective Mm -hmm. and spiritual whole just as a country and so yes i think the music has had a great impact on whites blacks latins asians people who who have heard it and has it changed everything like some people will say well things are still the same or even some will say well things are even worse but that's not the point of change you know when you try to make a change you're making the change for the people around you and the people that you can impact what happens in the future none of us have control over so i do know that the music is and has made a a big difference in millions and millions and millions of people's lives so it's it's something that we're proud of we continue to make music to this day so we even still continue that mission you make incredible music. I love, oh, oh my you. goodness, I love the albums. Oh, so oh, last year you. you actually released two albums. You released um, your own yes. album, uh, yeah, which was at the beginning record. of the year, right? So that was Expansions. Yeah, that was yes. that was on the name Speech. And then, of course, with Arrested Development, you yes. um, brought out at uh, the end of 2021 for the FKN, for the in love. I love in front of that. It just makes it stronger, right? Bang. Exactly right. Exactly right. I love that too. That's exactly why we did it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's it's, it it's is. a beautiful album. I, Thank I, you. I love how you've got little stories, little little bits of spoken word, kind of in between the tracks too, which is something you did yeah. way back when. Yeah, and you're doing it now. True. And it seems that yeah. more artists are starting to do that again now in albums, right? Yeah. To encourage people yeah, to listen that. to the whole album. Exactly. I've noticed that. You yeah. know, for me, I come from a generation where the album was important. So this generation, I don't know if the album is as important yeah. to younger people, but, you know, with streaming, they're able to listen to a single here, make a playlist of their own. And it has nothing to do with necessarily the album of the artist. But for me, I come from a generation where the album was supposed to be a full experience and it's supposed to take you on a ride from the start of the roller coaster ride going up that hill chink 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 then you go down that hill and then you go all through the loops and then you come back to that home base and chink 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 just that slow you know stop and um that's what this album is supposed to be and that's how i approach this all the time yeah and and that's what it is. And it's your 15th album with Arrested Development, right? Is that right? Am I, I have no idea. Did I count that right? I, I've lost I've lost count. I, I don't even You've count done... anymore. Yeah, wow. Count. <laughs> You've done. Yeah. And, the, and the thing I find so funny, so your first album was three years, five months, and two days in the life off. And that was how long yeah. it took you guys to get the record deal, right? So that's isn't it right. funny how you went from that? And that was 30 years, that's 30 years ago. This year, went from 30 years. To then in 20, in 20, yeah. And then in 2021, you actually, there was a track that you did on expansions called A Different World, right? Which you wrote yeah. after the insurrection of January 6th. followers successfully crashed the Capitol building. Had congressional members are crawling helplessly. Police officers with theirs, they taking selfies. Lord, help me, I'm a black man that's double jeopardy. And that yep. track you released in like the space of a week. So to go from 30 years ago yeah. where it took you yeah. years Three and a half years. to be able to yeah. release an yeah. album yeah. to then a week. one week. Yeah. How crazy. It's absolutely insane. So tell me about it's this. So how, is, how has this been? Uh, surreal. 
And oh yeah, it's just surreal to be able to use technology in that way. Like we didn't have that opportunity 30 years ago. So there was no way we were going to be able to release a record, not only in a week, in months. And so there was no way we could do a press story like we're doing now. Like that would even take weeks or months to, to get a press story out. So there was a lot more preparation for things. But with January 6th and my album expansion, the album was finished. And when that insurrection happened, mm -hmm. I wrote that song, The Night of the Insurrection. I literally was bubbling with um, emotion, anger, fear, mm -hmm. um, confusion, uh, just a, a lot of different emotions. And um, that record to me had to express all of that. And so, yeah. Yeah, it was very, very amazing to be able to put that out the, the week of it. Wow. So that must mean that you have a lot more control over everything that you do these days, right? So do you like I it? Do. How, how, do, how has that been for you? The whole change of, of technology and, and that everything's kind of now in your own hands. You enjoy that? I do. It's a double-edged sword, though. I have to be honest about mm -hmm. how part of it I love. Like, you're right. I was able to release it in a week. But without that machinery, things are harder. You know, I'm doing things independently. I'm up mm -hmm. really late nights trying to work social media and expose a record. You know, I'm, I'm having to hire various people to help me do things that normally um, the record label would have done for me. I'm having to, you know, so yeah. there's, there's pros and cons to it. At the end of the day, I have learned to really respect it, though. And I'll tell you the main reason why is... When we were on a major label, the problem with that was there was a machinery that the label possessed that could push the record to places that we never could get it. But when that machinery pulled mm -hmm. out and when we got dropped from the label, we no longer knew how to reach our fan base. And that was hard because we had music that we mm -hmm. wanted to release, but we didn't have the knowledge base nor the machinery and the, the systems in place to tell all of our fans, which we had over 4 million hardcore fans that bought the album, how do we tell them that I have a new solo album out? Or how do I tell them that I have, right. you know, this for the effing love out? It was So that's that's been a learning curve. I've got a few, I've got a few quotes actually that um, James took from different magazines that you've been in, different wow. magazine articles from way back when. So he's taken little okay. quotes. I'm gonna, he's gonna read them out and I would like to get your, um, your take on this. So first this. Okay. This is Vibe, August 1994. In 1992, it was real easy to be over Arrested Development. Tennessee was chosen best rap video of the year by MTV. The band won two Grammys, including the first best new artist award ever to go to a hip hop group. They won a Soul Train Music Award. They made every top 10 albums list known to mankind. They toured it on Vogue, did Lollapalooza, did an Unplugged, they were still beautiful, but they were also inescapable. So that whole thing, basically from 1992, it things blew up so much. You guys became yeah. so big. How how did you experience that? Like, what, what was that like? What was that whirlwind? Well, I assume it was a whirlwind. What was it like for you? Well, it was an absolute whirlwind. It was very, um, it was almost as if you were time traveling or, um, going to another planet like everything was so different than what it was prior to the record coming out so like we're poor we're 
very um, communal in the way we approached our music. We didn't talk a lot about business because we weren't making any money anyway. And we were very political oriented and trying to get a message out and not really in the midst of a music industry. So Atlanta had not blew up for hip hop yet. And so then a short time after, all of those things have changed. We're immersed into not just business, but big business. We're making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. We're traveling the planet where we've never traveled before. We're meeting industry people constantly. We're winning awards constantly. We're getting on charts all at the same time. All of this is new to us. And we're only 21, 22. The youngest member was probably 16, 17. So um, that's Ishii, uh, our dancer. So, you know, all of that happening simultaneously, it was like uh, time travel. It just felt weird. It was just like one day is one thing, the next day is another. And it's like, wow, how to, Hmm. you know, put it into context, how to navigate this was a huge, huge, huge challenge. And as far as what that quote said, I mean, there was a big backlash because all of this happened so quick and, you know, we weren't escapable at the time. You know, we were everywhere, seemingly. It's funny Mm -hmm. because like if you were to look at that nowadays, we weren't hardly anywhere compared to what people could do now. Like, you know, a record nowadays could be all over the internet within one hour of its release. I mean, you know, so it's interesting, but yeah. yeah. But, 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 but having said that, yes, all over the internet, but you don't get the, the, how do I say it? Everything's like everyone's in their own little pockets, right? And you That's just true. go online and Very you find true. exactly what you like. Whereas back then the whole yes. world, everybody was looking at the same few acts that had been almost handpicked by the labels. And they were massive. And you guys just were part of that. Rightly so, because, I mean, your music was amazing and it it still is. But um, but like you were saying, so things have very, very much changed uh, and things are a lot more, you know, you're dealing with your fans much more directly. But how is it is it hard for a band like yours, for instance, to survive financially like that way where things are a lot more. Um, it, everything's digitized. It's all just, you know, people yeah. stream their music. Um, there's not the, the big bucks anymore like there was before, right? Not even close. Right. It's extremely hard. It's sometimes non-existent. So, you know, our our album is called For the F in Love. We did it really for that. Like, we don't make money from music right. anymore. None of these albums make any money. Wow. We spend more money on promotion than they do sales and so you know we make money on touring but even that i mean it's with COVID being with us for the two years now we we used to tour at least 60 70 dates a year during COVID, we probably did four a year so you know that's a sizable decline and you know so it's it's totally different and so it definitely it definitely forces you to re assess why do you do what you do? You know, like, do I do it for the money or do I do it for something deeper and and the love of it? And this album is definitely a testimony to the love. Oh, I love that. Oh, (laughs) I mean, not, I wish you were making tons of money, but the idea- No, I get you, I get you. Doing it for the love. 
yeah, yeah. that's that's beautiful um and and it's actually a lot harder now for the next generation coming through i mean for you guys you know Very your, much so. your old songs are still being played on the radio right you still got yeah. the publishing and all these things from way back when but true how is this and i think there's actually a track on your album right what's it called um i want you to make it is that a track specifically for this next generation is that kind of what you're you're talking about in that song i am it's me and special guest king crooked um from slaughterhouse fame and well his i don't know what his verse is about but i could tell just by being a fan of that verse that his is about any rhymer really trying to make it in this atmosphere today right as an independent artist and trying to get to that eminem level or that you know Jay-Z level. My verse is particularly about a man that I met um, when I was in a jail. I I did a special project where I went into a jail for 10 days and I wrote music with inmates. I documented it. I released a documentary called 16 Bars. While I was in that jail, there was a particular man named Teddy who unfortunately was addicted um, to drugs and was finding it very hard to stay sober and he was finding it very hard to navigate his life as a grown man. So my verse is dedicated to Teddy, who um, is an amazing MC, one of the most talented, like people that know Teddy would say he's like the, the modern day Tupac, but he's trapped in various um, toxic cycles in his life and and they're extremely hard to overcome. And I, I relate to that. And you know, but it's talking about, I want yeah. you to make it. Yeah. I love how you really, you really seem to see the soul of people, right? You obviously, and this has become, this is so apparent. I mean, you, you did the track, um, Mr. Wendell, no, what's it called again? Mr. Wendell, right? Mr. Wendell. Was yeah, Mr. The, Wendell. Was, was that the name of the track? Mr. Wendell, yep. sorry. Um, and then even the way you're talking about about this man, this inmate, it's like you you obviously you're not just looking at people. Oh, they're at high status, so I therefore want to be with right. them or learn from them. It's like no, you seem to really go out your way to want to learn from everybody, all levels of society, and all different statuses. I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I, that is definitely my spirit. That's who I am. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that comes that comes back in your music. I don't think there's enough people saying stuff like that. But it's funny how in that same track you're actually there. So there might have been the other guy that said who said you're too lyrical to make it on TikTok. <laughs> that was the other guy, King Crooked. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's very right. real. Like that's very real. Yeah. Wow. Because TikTok, you know, is such a. Mm. It's really primarily for another generation, and I think musically at least. Uh, you know, lyrics don't really do well on that platform. You know, it's, it's more of a, it's more of a different type of thing. So. Oh, I love words. <laughs> I love Me the too. lyrics. I'm obsessed Me with too. lyrics. Yeah. yeah. It's such a shame. I want to play another quote for you. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, this one. This is from 94. He says, marriage is certain, but not soon. He's hoping for a son. I want to be a best friend to my child, he says. I want to be able to relate to my kid so that he or she knows they could come to me. At the same time, I want to instill discipline. I want to instill African culture in my child. Oh my so, gosh, you are just freaking me out. 
Do you? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, it's amazingly funny to hear these things from the young me. That's so crazy. Yeah. Wow. Oh, like like time travel. Time travel. Yeah, There's it's the like time travel. About something yeah. that later happened. It did. You got married. You had two children, got right? Married. Two kids. A boy a first. Boy actually. And a girl. A boy and now a girl too. Yeah, we. Uh, well, my son is twenty seven. My daughter is twenty four. So they're they're adults. But um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And you know, it's funny. Like listening so back to has... that, I think those things I did do, like all of them. Um, my son and I are great friends. Um, he does come to me and his mother, you know, in in his hardest times. And he does trust us. And, you know, I did instill, mm -hmm. um, me and his mom did instill, you know, dignity and a certain number, uh, you know, understanding the importance of our culture and our people, understanding the importance of African contributions to the world and African-American contributions. And um, these types of things we felt was extremely important. And we did do that. So it's, it's amazing. It's like such a... It's like a mind, uh, just, it's just crazy. Yeah. And did you, so, so, so I guess your children were born after the, the craziness of Arrested Development, but you guys were yeah. right, like, you know, when all the madness was going on. So this was afterwards. So were you happy that your children were born after that? Because for me personally, my children were born when I moved to Belize, away from showbiz, away from all that uh -huh. kind of stuff. And I really liked that, you know, because I saw so many celebrities who have to parade their kids, you know, in Hello Magazine, you know, yeah. in the nursery when the baby is born. And then, you know, that they're kind of sharing yeah. a whole private family life with the world. And I never would have wanted to do yeah. that. So how did you feel? Because you you obviously, your, your kids also quite came a little bit later. Were you happy about that? Very much so. Yeah, I'm glad that it happened yeah. after all of that. But they got to reap a lot of the benefits and probably the best part of the benefits. So like they didn't, they weren't born during the most confusing time that I was just describing to you where it's like all of this stuff's going on. It's topsy-turvy. Excuse me. They were born after that, but got to reap the benefits of being able to travel with me. So like me and my queen, um, in order to maintain our marriage, I decided to teach her road management. So um, she wasn't in the music industry at all. I taught her how to be a road manager and to be you know, around me. And at that time, I was struggling with infidelity. So, you know, I wanted to be a, a great husband and a great friend and, and a man that stuck to what I promised to her. And so I said, well, if you're with me, it will help change my whole culture of what I'm used to when I'm on the road. So early on, I did um, teach her that. She came on the road with me. When we had children, soon after, they would start coming on the road here and there. And um, it was great because they got a chance to see their mom and dad in a natural environment, but it wasn't the crazy stuff of the early 90s. And yet we were touring all over the place. I mean, we were in South Africa, Europe, um, you know, wow. Canada, America. So they got to see the world too, Asia, you know, and it was, so it was great. It, it, it had a lot of positives. And the track never had your back. 
which I love, yeah. by the way. Thank you. Um, so Thank that's you. dedicated to that's dedicated to your your kids or specifically your daughter yes. or my daughter. Yeah. Uh, in particular, um, you know, of course, it's dedicated to women, black women in particular, but my daughter even more particularly because, you know, she's growing up in an era that she doesn't remember. Well, I taught her these things, but in general, there's no recollection of the times in hip hop where there was such diverse content. You know, hip hop, unfortunately, has gotten less and less diverse in its content. So pretty much almost every song that comes out in hip hop is about either drugs, violence, um, misogyny, or materialism. And I literally mean that. So it'd be four topics. And so she was raised on that just not by us, but by nature of just being a human being in in America. So throughout her youth, we were constantly having to sort of re-pivot her to have understanding of how valuable she was. Because if you looked at the music videos and things that were extremely popular, the women weren't valuable at all. I mean, it was a one man to every 20, 30 women the women were only known for their bodies and weren't known for their minds or contribution to anything other than sex. And, and the men were blatant about, you know, I'm not here to have sex. I'm not here to make love. You know, they, I'm here for sex, I should say, and not here to make love. There's nothing right. to this. You're frivolous. You know, there's one of me and a thousand of you. These are rap lyrics that I'm, that I'm quoting, but it's like, this is, hmm. this is the atmosphere that, any daughter, but my daughter in particular, you know, was, this is what she's digesting just by being alive and listening to music. So, yeah, yeah. I felt the need to write something different. What did she think when she heard it? (laughs) It's funny. Like, I don't even know. She has literally never told me what she feels about that record. (laughs) And my daughter, by nature, she loves to come to our shows, but she's not an Arrested Development fan in any real way. Like, she doesn't really listen to us and she doesn't. You know, but she loves the the live experience, and I think she does like her and my son love coming to our shows. Yeah, but it's not because they're necessarily fans. I yeah. think it's just you know, dad's doing a show, let's go. You know, and it's just they like being out and having a fun time. But yeah, it's funny how that works. How, how can you possibly be a how can you possibly be a fan of your parents' work? It just does just exactly. that wouldn't quite work, would it? But yeah, but yeah. I'm sure they're incredibly proud. Um there was a they few are. things actually, um some some past things. There are a few past things that happened way, way, way back that I still wanted to ask you about. Um sure. is it true that when you guys so so when you did the track Tennessee and you sampled Prince, is it true that Prince did sue you, but he sued you in kind of like almost like quite a cool way where he just said, okay, just give me a flat fee for using the sample, but I don't, I won't take any of the writing credits, uh, publishing. Is that true? That's very true. He didn't sue though. He just simply had his office Mm -hmm. call mine and he said, uh, it was the day that our record went from number three on the pop charts to number four and it was going down and he, we got a call. 
and he basically said, you're using my sample. And instead of me owning the song, instead of me, you know, suing and getting lawyers involved, I want a hundred thousand dollars. And it was the word Tennessee. That's what I sampled. And, um, we paid it yeah. and he didn't own the song. He didn't take it off the shelf. I'm not going to say though, at that time that I didn't feel slighted. I was like a hundred thousand dollars for a word. Right. I didn't get it back then. I thought it was like so ridiculous. And, um, but the song by then even had made Hmm. millions of dollars. And um, so later I got it. And when I met Prince in person, I totally got it by then. And I'm, I'm a huge Prince fan regardless. The whole time I was a Prince fan. So, yeah. Prince wasn't yeah. big on sampling. Um, you know, it took him quite a while to embrace sampling and to embrace hip hop. I think Chuck D had a lot to do with Prince finally embracing hip hop. Um, another thing. So there was another lawsuit. This was about the um, the TV show Arrested Development because you had already trademarked the name back then. Yeah. And then the TV show came out. And you dropped the case. So there was some kind of something that got settled out of court. In hindsight, do you regret that, that you didn't fight that harder? Well, it was an interesting situation. Uh, Very interesting because I found out about that TV show the night it was premiering. So it was already out. I found out about it by watching the Super Bowl on Fox, uh, the network Fox. And the after the Super Bowl, they were going to premiere this TV show called Arrested Development. So I'm watching the Super Bowl and me and my wife and our friends, we're all watching it. And we're like, what? They're doing something about us after the show? That's really cool. That's crazy. I don't know anything about it, though. And the the sports commentators on the Super Bowl were talking about us, the group. And they were saying, so is this the what is this? Is this about the group Arrested Development, Tennessee, people every day? And they were saying, yeah, I guess so. I don't know what it is. And so they didn't know what it was either. And that totally made our case. So when we did take them to court for taking the name, the whole point of a trademark is not to confuse the marketplace on what this product is right. and who, you know, what, what it is. So it was very clear especially in the beginnings, that the TV show was totally stepping on an already existing trademark and a very publicly known brand. So um, we did go to court and we did fight them. We decided to settle out of court primarily because the show was already, they already taped a number of episodes. It was already about, well, it was aired that night. By the time we were in court, it already had aired a number of episodes, some of which had mentioned us and so on and so forth. So we just decided to move forward. I will say, do I regret not fighting harder? Um, maybe I do. I do regret it because what happens with TV shows that take artists or band names is the TV shows always trumpet. I mean, Survivor is a TV show that's a it's a yeah. phenom, and it there was a band named Survivor. Living Color is a TV show. There's a band named Living right. Color. These TV yeah. shows always yeah. trump the artist, and so if I were to If I would have fought harder, I probably could have stopped it from existing in the first place. Yeah, because nowadays, if you Google Arrested Development, it's the TV show. You have to put the band. And it's, I mean, 
This is an interesting yeah. this is an interesting quote. Truth is defined by the top results of Google searches these days. Right? Truth. That is very true. true. That whatever like and that's that's yep. truth or, or trust. Yep. If it's at the yeah. top of Google, yep. that's it, right? Uh -huh. And so it's kind of sad in that way that you guys have kind of disappeared. <laughs> Not disappeared, yeah. but No, yeah. I know what you mean though. It is. Take it's buried. It it's buried with all of the television stuff. Yeah. I will say At the end of the day, I've been very proud with how well we are faring considering the huge machinery they, that, that they have and the little machinery that we have. So I look at it like, and I looked at it when we were in court as a David and Goliath situation. I mean, we were fighting up against Fox. And even though I had more money back in these days when we were in court, there was no way that I was going to be able to beat Fox as a huge network with right. Ron Howard, who was a superstar in his own right and, and and a huge director at the time still is but it was just no way that I was going to be able to fight them in court they had tons of lawyers an entire corporation yeah. behind them and so yeah we we decided to settle because as you probably know if we would have kept fighting and lost we wouldn't have gotten any money not not to mention right. we would have paid all these That's lawyer true. fees into the hundreds of thousands of dollars And so yeah. we really had to sort of judge what's the best way to approach this. You know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. So coming back to um, the thing, so with, with Prince, you did the sample, and there's a really interesting quote, which is quite a famous quote from you about sampling. So I just want to play that one and get your uh, take on this now. Quote that I love from Billboard. Every time you sample notes, you're also sampling the spirit of whomever you're sampling. So every time you sample, you don't just yeah. take the sound, you also get the spirit and the emotion of the person that you sample. Totally believe that to this day. Yes. So like, you know, yeah. sampling is unlike playing a note. So if, if I played a note from a song you wrote today, I'm just playing the note, but I'm not playing the room you were in or the way that you mic'd mm -hmm. your piano. I'm not playing the era that microphones were in and technology was in at that time. I'm not playing that. I'm just playing the particular notes you played on my piano. But when I'm sampling, all of these things go with it, the spirit of that time period. So if I sample something from the 60s, there was an entire thing going on in the 60s. The way they recorded music in the 60s mm -hmm. was thoroughly different. The microphones, the technology they used to record it, the, the actual spirit of the artist who's performing it, and the spirit of that record that that was that that I'm sampling from all of these things are wrapped up in that sample and that's what makes sampling so extremely special to me is that to me it's a connector point between the past and the present bringing it all to the future and uh, I wish sampling was done more often because it gave me an appreciation for music as opposed to made me lazy about music I learned about so many artists And I learned to deeply appreciate artists like a Joni Mitchell or a James Brown or a Bob James or, or you know, whoever, uh, incredible bongo band. I mean, whoever. It's like these artists, I started to learn their entire catalog because I sampled them and I fell in love with what they did. So, yeah, I think sampling is a saving grace to music as opposed to a bad thing for music. Hmm. So when you create music, I mean, is it is creating music 
almost like a spiritual practice to you? Do you do you consciously sit and think I'm going to create something or do you get these things just they they come to you? Both. Like and something in the air. Yeah, both. Because it is a spiritual thing and as I live life and as I'm moved even right now as I'm moved by what I see on the screen for you right in Belize those things give me certain ideas and certain thoughts and it opens my mind and it allows me to travel a little bit to a little window in Belize. Well, then that will change the way I'm going to write a song today. If I was to write something right now, it's going to change it because it gives me another window into another world that allows me to explore what I, the emotions I'm picking up from what I'm seeing right now. So yeah, it's definitely a spiritual thing. It does come in waves. My wife, being married to a musician, I just have to respect her so much because, you know, I get inspired at any time of the day and I'll jot down a lyric in the middle of a romantic dinner. I might jot down a lyric that I think is clever or great. So she's learned to just totally accept this, you know, sort of interesting way of going about life with, with a musician. And, and yeah, I think it's, and it's also very, it's like a therapy session every time I write a song. Mm -hmm. um, it's like being in therapy with, with some really ultra great professional, you know? So it's, it's an amazing journey doing yeah. music. So do you ever feel that, um, have there ever been songs that you've written where you, you kind of almost feel like you didn't write them where it's like, you know, cause you know how people go, Oh, that's mine. Yeah. You took those notes from me. And you know, yeah. but sometimes yeah. it's like, it's almost like it's all floating out there and creative yeah. people can tap into it. And sometimes totally. even people tap into whatever is out there at the same time, which that's always blows my mind when people have Agreed. the same idea or almost the same idea yeah. at the same time in a different part of the world. It's so magical, totally. isn't it? It really is. Um, I think, you know, People Every Day for us was one of those songs that just came together like nothing. And same difference with Tennessee, a song that just came together as if I didn't even write it myself. Like it just flowed so easily mm. and um, it just felt so right, right off the bat, you know? Yeah. 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 Let me play another quote for you, um, or not really a quote. This was just something that was written about you guys as well. Rolling Stone magazine, January the 7th, 1993. The members of Arrested Development pray before every meal. They pray before every plane trip. They sprinkle phrases like beautiful, spiritual, and deeply into yourself across conversations like holy water. They don't play concerts. They throw celebrations. They are, in fact, perhaps the only alternative music sensation incessantly talking about Nirvana that might not even know there was a band by that name. I think God has really guided the group in the direction he wanted it to go in, says Speech. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, is that accurate? I think that was. I think that was very accurate. Like, um, you know, I couldn't. Yeah, I think before every meal I do, I think like we were definitely a praying band. Um, I don't think though that we were very religious. Like during that time period, I wasn't no practicing any particular religion, and I believed in God. Um, I do believe that God guided us, and especially knowing the history of how you know our first single came about with my grandmother passing, and she's from Tennessee, and then my brother passing that same week, and the last place I saw both of them was in Tennessee. And then I wrote the song 
And mm-hmm. Bob OJ yeah. being a friend of mine, and I found out he was in my mom and dad's wedding as the best man. Like these types of things were just, um, you could tell that somebody was arranging things beyond what my understanding was as a leader of the group. And that's why I felt like, yeah. you know, we were being guided. The, the journey was so weird and so surreal that it definitely wasn't just us pulling strings. But you said you weren't necessarily religious because I always, I mean, I wonder, like, you know, would your image of God be like, you know, this white dude with a long beard sitting on a cloud telling us what we can and can't do? And because to me, I can't relate to that. I can relate to God, but I cannot relate to this jealous, angry white man sitting on a cloud. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, is that the God understanding? I guess not, right? Not at all. Yeah. No, never has been. Um, to be honest, no. you know, no. never has been. The whole white man in the chair, you know, or somewhere up in heaven, never related to me. It never felt right to me. And no. even the white Jesus, the blue eyes, uh, blonde haired Jesus, no. quiet as a lamb, never appealed to me. Um, and then when I started reading scriptures, it became obvious that none of that is true. I mean, the scriptures make that very clear. So, um, yeah, so no, it never was that. When I formed a relationship with God in a non-religious way when I was a kid, my mom and dad worked a lot. And so my brother was seven years older than me, so he was always in a different chapter in his life. So me and him never got to hang a lot because, you know, if I was 10, he was 17 and he was dating girls and I'm just liking, you know, hot rod cars playing with little toy trucks. So we were always in different stages in life. So I, I was alone a lot. My mom and dad worked tons and were out and about. And so I was by myself a lot. And in my school that I used to go to, I used to walk about a mile to school and a mile back by myself. And this is at age seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. So I would pray to God a lot for safety and to hope that nobody stole me or nobody you know, harmed me in any way. And every time that I was successful in going to and from, I would thank God. And so this, this, idea of God looking out for me was something that I particularly formed early on, but it had nothing to do with right. at the time going to church or, you know, believing in this particular religion or that particular, it just was a relationship that I had. And right. was, so yeah, it was very personal. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the same thing. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, people have just come up with this personification of God, but the personification is not a personification that everyone can relate to. I mean, for me, to me, if I can imagine a God, it would be a woman. If we look about creating life and caring and loving, to me, that's more a woman than a man. So the whole patriarchy is really the thing that puts me off. And it's kind of a shame. But yeah, Yeah. so I think we're we're a lot more on the on those same lines where it's something there's that you you can gain strength out of it, but not necessarily part of an organized religion. On your album, um, for the effing love. You um, released, you you have a track called Be Refreshed. And that kind of echoes the sentiment again of Aching for Acres, right? Which was a track on Zingalamaduni. Yeah, Zingalamaduni. Right. So so on both those tracks, you were talking about owning land and wanting to Mm -hmm. farm and all this stuff. And this is what you ended up doing, right? Very much so. Tell me about your farm. I live, 
Sure. So I, I don't farm, but I do live on eight, 11 acres of land. And, you know, we have planted at certain times. Our schedule doesn't allow us to do it as much as we would want because we tour and then we're gone and so on and so forth. We don't have like a big staff or anything in our home um, to help us do things. So, but owning land, owning property, working with nature is something that I deeply, deeply believe in. And have been doing for the last, I guess, 26 years, 27 years. So yeah, it's been amazing. Um, the song Acre for Acres is talking about owning land and having property um, because, you know, at the time hip hop was glorifying getting the next Jeep or the car or, you know, a gold chain or whatever. And my sentiment was, no, get some land because there's, there's a finite amount of land in the world and there's an infinite amount of material things that you can get and they come and they go, yeah. but get some land. And some, it's a way to have more power in your community. It's a way to be able to self-sustain and grow things. And, you know, mm-hmm. you could be quote unquote poor monetarily, but if you have land in a, in a place to grow things, you're not as poor as you think, cause you're rich with, with resources and things that you can grow. And, um, share with your community and that's what be refreshed is about it's almost like um a communal you know i refresh you you refresh me and we we work together and we we grow wealth together by sharing things and wealth doesn't necessarily have to mean just money either it can be the things that you would buy with your money so foods and and um so on and so forth so i love it so and then finally um mankind homo sapiens we've been making music like from the beginning of time like some of the oldest artifacts that have been found human artifacts have all been musical instruments you know everywhere in the world through all time people have made music but it was interesting how um really in tribal communities there really wasn't a difference between those who created the music and those who listened to the music everybody was creating together it was a communal thing everybody Mm -hmm. made music and it's really now in our society where you've got the ones who make the music and the ones who listen but then I'm wondering if there's still part of our our kind of like almost DNA where we still crave that thing of creating music together and if that's really what's so uplifting when you're in a concert and everybody sings together they chant together they dance together and you can feel that magic but you think that's kind of just part of our I don't know evolutionary kind of DNA that's still in us I do. I really do. In fact, I'm writing a song right now, and um, that song is talking about what you just described. Like, there is there is a, a certain bond and a certain connection that we all feel when we're all involved in this creative process, and we're all, you know, not just part, um, not just watching it and spectating it from afar, but, but being a part of it. And it's, it's, it's a powerful thing. That's what I love about concerts. You know, I, I often say that it, to me, it's like making love mm-hmm. because it is literally intimate. It feels intimate. It does not feel like a business transaction. A lot of times, most of the time, even, uh, it feels like an intimate moment between people and it's, it's profound. Yeah, it's great. And people have been craving it, right? After this whole COVID period where 
that hasn't been part of our lives. I think everybody's just, they just want to get back out there and sing together and dance together and and commune in that way. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. Yeah, I do find it interesting. I find it interesting as, I find it interesting as well how um, apparently without even realizing it in a way we always are creating music together because there's always a rhythm that's going on right everybody has a rhythm so someone from a village uh, from the countryside will have a slower rhythm someone from a big city has a faster rhythm which is why when they meet Mm -hmm. quite often it's kind of hard until they finally meet somewhere in the middle and they say that even when there's a family or people eating around a table that things happen at a certain beat not that everyone eats at the same time right but people stretch their syllables at the same time as picking up the knife and the fork and the chewing and even pitch even if men and women talk in a group there's usually Facts. about a full octave between the woman and the man, the men, and wow. then the children go another octave higher. So in a way, we kind of always are creating music together. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. I agree with all of that, one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <sighs> music. It's the best thing, isn't it? It is. It's powerful. What a blessed too. life so to be powerful. able to to. Yeah, and to spend yes. your whole life doing this amazing yeah. thing. Yeah. Agreed. You have no arguments here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for all your wonderful music. Thank you for your beautiful lyrics. Thank you for your insight. It's it's thank been you. an absolute yeah. joy listening to you way back when and still today. Um, never stop. Thank you so much. I appreciate this interview. It was fun. You did a great job. Oh, thank you so much, Speaks. Thank you. Wonderful. <laughs>